This episode brought to you by my crippling anxiety and ability to overthink months in advance with support by Real Estate Design, the one and only sponsor of this podcast for now. Hi, this is Ashley, the host of Taboo and Murder. I'm thrilled to announce that this episode is a crossover episode with a brand new podcast called Slanted Rants. The holidays are upon us, so bust out your tinsel, chill the eggnog, and settle in for a long battle with depression. Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year. Tradition, family, friends, gifts, credit card debt, missing loved ones, loneliness, drunken advances, work parties, secret Santa, suicide. The holidays are all the cliche things that Hallmark tells us they are. But the insidious underside of the holidays is glossed over with a few check-in articles that are recycled annually by the well-intentioned Huffington Post or BuzzFeed. Everything about the holiday season is set up to make us feel like failures. Did I buy enough? Did I forget anyone? I can only afford to get immediate family gifts, but I do need to get something for my coworker who mentioned she got me the perfect gift. I guess I can just charge it and wait for my tax return to pay it off. Because Merry fucking Christmas, right? And if you have young kids like I do, you will certainly feel the pressure to make the holidays fucking magical. There's no elf on a shelf in this house. I can't handle that kind of stress and commitment in my life. So yeah, the holidays come with a heightened financial stress to be sure. And this is an area that I'm actually seeing some movement on. That's great and all, but I doubt a few memes will actually change the pressure people feel to deliver during the holidays. Soapbox time! Please don't give your children large or expensive gifts from Santa. Why? Because kids are precious little angel assholes that will go to school and brag about what Santa brought them. Totally normal for kids, to be sure. But if little Timmy got an iPod and little Tommy got new pajamas from Santa, well, I hope you can see where I'm going. And if your first thought is, well, little Tommy needs to learn that life isn't fair, I'll say, shut the fuck up. There's no reason a fictional man needs to claim credit for big purchases. Timmy will be fine knowing that his parents bought him an amazing gift. Let Santa bring a single small gift and then spoil the shit out of your kids in your name. Sound like a deal? I think it's a small price to pay to ensure that other kids don't feel like shit and also major parental bonus points. Am I right? My father-in-law passed away six days before Christmas last year, so admittedly I went a little bananas as that was a great distraction to my toddler. But I hogged all the credit, to be fair. I'm not telling you to buy a certain amount of gifts or a price cap, but whatever your budget and your family find appropriate, just don't slap a tag on it saying that Santa bought an Audi, okay? So actually, this entire episode could be titled uh, Soapbox. There are other invisible ways that the holidays are difficult on people you love. I have episodes planned that cover miscarriage, baby loss, the choice to live child-free, etc. But these topics are also relevant during the holidays. I'm going to share my story for two reasons. To show how the most well-intended people can be real assholes and also to break some fucking taboos. 
In February of 2013, my sister had just turned 24 and was diagnosed with melanoma, the most aggressive and deadliest form of skin cancer. We're so lucky that her surgeries and treatment have allowed her to be NED, no evidence of disease. But that shook our family to the core. It was and is still very scary. I cared for her as the bigger sister while she was on two years of a treatment that just knocked her on her ass. It made her sick after her injections to the point that she basically like had the flu every week. Why do I bring this up? Well, context. My husband and I had been married less than six months when my sister was diagnosed. I had just started my own real estate brokerage the month before my sister was diagnosed as well. My husband and I always knew that we wanted kids. Anyone that has experienced a scare like our family did will know how precious life can feel in those moments. After some discussion, my husband, Eric, and I decided that it would never be the right time to start a family. So how about now? So we did. We started trying, as they say. I became pregnant the first month. I was thrilled. I was sick from the moment I peed on the stick until I miscarried three months later. Telling people that I was unpregnant was embarrassing. I was full of shame. I felt like a complete failure. It was awful. My first miscarriage was right around the 4th of July. I spent the rest of the summer in a shame-induced hiding. I got pregnant again and lost that pregnancy in September of 2013. I got pregnant again. I lost that pregnancy in January of 2014, just five days before I was scheduled to leave for Hawaii. So with all that background, let's bring it back to the magic of the fucking holidays, shall we? Christmas of 2013, I was pregnant. It was my third pregnancy, so only my sister and my husband knew. I was hopeful, but I also knew. I knew I would lose that pregnancy. Call it wannabe mother's intuition, but I just knew that I'd lose that pregnancy, and I did. I went to the doctor. They offered a DNC. I declined, and I went home to lose the pregnancy naturally over the next couple of days. Even though it was the third time in seven months, it was fucking terrible, physically and emotionally. Miscarriage is absurdly common. One in four pregnancies will end in miscarriage. It's so common that at times women miscarry before they even know that they're pregnant. They may just think that they're a little late with their period or that their flow is heavier and they'll go about their life as normal. Being pregnant, wanting to be pregnant, wanting to have a baby. It allows us to project thoughts of raising a baby, of a tiny clump of cells. When I step back and look at the science, it's fucking incredible that only one in four pregnancies ends in miscarriage. But when it was me, well, it felt like the world was crumbling around me. Like, how could I be pregnant and happy and excited and hopeful and projecting all of this stuff on on the tiny clump of cells to be my future? And then the next day, to not be pregnant. Trying to rewrite our future, erasing that baby from it was soul-crushing. And we have to do it alone. Why? Society says it's taboo to discuss miscarriage and baby loss. In the years since I started my fertility journey, there have been some articles that discuss miscarriage, focused on sites like Scary Mommy. In pop culture... Spoiler alert, I can recall that recently a miscarriage was featured on This Is Us. A few celebrities have shared their stories with infertility and baby loss, and that's a start. But in large part, it's a topic ignored. And that's crazy to me. We talk about cancer. We talk about IBS. 
we talk about the president's sex life, but we won't talk about a struggle that many couples face. I say fuck that. Let's break the taboo. I shared my story publicly a few years ago. Since then, I've had dozens of women reach out to me, most of which I'm only friends with online. There's a need to have open, honest discussions about family planning, miscarriage, baby loss, etc. But the conversation needs to be started in a healthy, safe way for those that are experiencing fertility issues. So, back to that first Christmas that I was aware of the isolation, shame, embarrassment, and loneliness that miscarriage brings in the absence of a pregnancy. So now that you're married, when are you going to have kids? Well, Aunt Kelly, I currently am pregnant, but um, it's my third pregnancy this year, and I know with every fiber of my being that I will lose this pregnancy too. Would I actually say, oh, we just got married. We want to have some time to ourselves. I cried the entire way home. I then spent the next few days in a funk. Just as I was getting out of that funk, I started to bleed. It would be nine days later that I'd miscarry fully. I had surgery in February of 2014 to remove endometriosis and run tests on me. Fun fact, almost all insurance companies require a woman to have three miscarriages before they'll cover any testing to figure out the cause of the losses. I firmly believe if men were experiencing such great losses in their own personal bodies, this policy would be changed immediately. My doctor, knowing that I'm as type A as can be, to put it nicely, decided to throw everything at me to make a sticky baby. I had no problem getting pregnant. I had a problem staying pregnant. So a sticky baby is what we called it. So I started hormone treatments. What a fucking joy that was. Rage, sadness, euphoria, exhaustion, all in under an hour after injection. God, I do not miss that. It's crazy with some perspective to look back on those times and wonder how the fuck we did it survival. So I got pregnant in July of 2014. I just waited and waited and waited to lose the pregnancy. Every time I got up to go to the bathroom, middle of the night and all, 90% asleep even, I'd turn on the light and look for blood. Every cramp, every pain, it was a sign that I would lose the pregnancy. I didn't tell anyone again other than my husband and sister. I just couldn't untell people again. Then came the day, the day that I got to 16 weeks. I'd never been that pregnant before. I'd never been pregnant that long. I'd always lost them before. So I had a panic attack, went to my OB, and they did an ultrasound. There she was, hands on her face, kicking around. I like to say that the fear went away then. It didn't. I honestly never read a single article about being a mom. I was too busy reading about how to not have my baby die inside of me. My only focus was keep this baby alive long enough to get her outside of my murderous body, and I can take care of her. This is the headspace I was in while I was growing my daughter. That Christmas, everyone knew I was pregnant as I was approaching the third trimester. It was the weirdest feeling, talking to people about this tiny human that I desperately wanted, but was also convinced that I'd never see take a breath. It was so fucking surreal. For over a year, I was silently on my fertility journey. Here are a few things you should never say to a woman. Some of these apply to significant others, too. Use some common sense. Are you pregnant? When are you going to have kids? When are you, and insert the name of older sibling here, going to give him or her a brother or sister? What's wrong? His swimmers are slow? As a general rule... 
just don't ask about someone's family planning. That said, if someone confides in you that they're dealing with infertility or baby loss, here are a few do's and don'ts. Don't say anything like, well, at least you weren't farther along, or at least you didn't have a stillbirth. Don't say, have you thought about adoption? Don't say, well, you're lucky anytime my husband looks at me, I get pregnant. Do say, I'm so sorry. I know this is said by many, but if there's anything I can do, please know I'm here for you. There is literally nothing that can be said that will help anybody in that situation. You can only do harm. I promise you that. I've had close family members say those exact things to me. They didn't intend to hurt me by any means. They were ignorant. My sister-in-law, Chelsea, was the one person that said exactly what I didn't even know I needed to hear. I love you and Eric. We're here for you. If you want someone to talk to, I'm here. If you want someone to sit with you and quietly hate the world, I'm here for you. And that was just so powerful for me. She gave me permission to hate the world. And I needed that because, God, did I hate the fucking world. I would cry and become angry at every fucking ultrasound photo that would come up in my news feed. I couldn't hold my best friend's newborn baby because it made me physically ache. I didn't go to bridal and baby showers for a while because I couldn't muster up the falseness needed to cover my emotional scars long enough to feign happiness. That's not to say I wasn't happy for other people back then. I just couldn't register that happiness. I was too broken and alone. In March of 2015, I had my sweet Nia after 36 hours of labor. I was due March 30th. Due to the underlying health issues that led to miscarriages, I was also to deliver no later than March 24th. So I frequently joked she could be born on any day other than St. Patrick's Day because I didn't want her to have a drunk holiday birthday. Naturally, she was born at 5.16 p.m. on St. Patrick's Day. After a day and a half in labor, I no longer gave a shit about the day she was born. I was overjoyed. I was finally a mom. I had my sweet girl. I was also not at all prepared to actually have a baby. You see, the two years leading up to her birth, my research and rabbit-holing covered all subjects in utero. My mind never let itself click over to the having a baby part, so I didn't prepare for that. Like, I had clothes and a crib and shit, but mentally I never let myself go as far as picturing holding a live newborn baby. It sounds so terrible now, but that was the way I protected myself, I guess. So I had my baby, I was thrilled, and then the postpartum depression started. I'll save that subject for another day when tackling mental illness. I have a few. What a brag, I know. I had another miscarriage, and then I had my son in August of 2017. I plan to dedicate an entire episode to infertility, baby loss, and child-free living. For me, the holidays or any gathering of friends and family was really triggering. I guarantee that someone you know is going through their own silent battle with fertility. Just because you don't know about it does not mean that they're not going through it. So please just be aware of that. If they want to talk, they'll come to you. Please just avoid questions about family planning. I know they come from a good, loving place, but they land like daggers in the heart. So that's a short version of my experience. I've pulled some information um, from pregnancybirthandbaby.org. You know it's legit because it's .org. Um, if you need support, reach out to me or to a loved one or check out SANS. I'll post it in the show notes and on Instagram at S or um, Twitter at SM Taboo. 
So here is what uh, Sands has to say regarding miscarriage. Having a miscarriage can lead to a variety of different emotions. It is important to recognize that there is no right or wrong way to feel. While you are recovering from a miscarriage, there are a number of support services available that you and your partner may find helpful. Support services or organizations may be helpful if you don't feel you can discuss your miscarriage with your family and friends. Different people react differently to having a miscarriage. Some people feel the loss very strongly, while others do not. Some will feel relieved, but may feel guilty about those feelings. Feelings of grief are very common. Grief can be a physical and emotional experience. Other common emotions include sadness, sadness, numbness, anger, denial, relief, and disappointment. Many women feel guilty and wonder if something they did caused the miscarriage. It is important to realize that there is usually nothing that could have been done to prevent the miscarriage and that the cause may never be known. Your feelings about your miscarriage may change over time. Important dates, such as the expected due date or the anniversary of the miscarriage, can be upsetting. The effect of a miscarriage on you and your partner is, it varies widely. So check in with your partner. We all grieve differently. At the time of a miscarriage, you may find your relationship with your partner is strengthened, but some people find that their relationship suffers. As I said, check in. You may feel angry or frustrated if your partner does not appear to react the way that you think they should. Your partner's reaction to the miscarriage may be similar to yours or different to yours, and it is important to remember there is no right or wrong way to react. You just need to have the support that you need and vocalize that. That was me ad-libbing there. You and your partner can provide valuable support for each other, so it is important to keep talking and to seek professional help if you are struggling. Many women and their partners find counseling and support services helpful after a miscarriage. It is very important to ask for help if you have strong feelings of sadness or depression. Your hospital should be able to provide details of available support services. For example, your hospital may offer bereavement support. You can also get advice about support services from your doctor, midwife, other health professionals, such as a, um, a grief counselor or social worker, and of course, family and friends. You may feel reluctant to discuss your miscarriage with family and friends, particularly if you had not yet told them about the pregnancy. Some people feel that their friends and relatives do not understand the significance of their loss. If you feel this way, professional support services or support organizations may be more helpful for you. Call Pregnancy, Birth, and Baby at 1-800-882-4367 to speak to somebody about maternal child care um, and emotional support. Also, check out SANS. It's a great um, organization. The last taboo that I want to touch on is uh, essentially a myth. Um, the idea that suicides occur more frequently during the holiday season is a long perpetuated myth. The Annenberg Public Policy Center has been tracking media reports on suicides since 2000. A recent analysis found that 50% of articles written during the 2009-2010 holiday season perpetuated the myth. The CDC's National Center for Health Statistics reports that the suicide rate is, in fact, the lowest in December. The rate peaks in the spring and in the fall. The pattern has not changed in recent years. The holiday suicide myth supports misinformation about suicide that might ultimately hamper prevention efforts. Suicide remains a major public health problem, one that occurs throughout the year. 
it is the 10th leading cause for death for all Americans. Each year, more than 36,000 people take their own lives. In addition, more than uh, 374,000 are treated in emergency departments for self-inflicted injuries. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number is 1-800-273-8255. That said, certain people like LBGTQ youth coming home from college, as an example, they're at higher risk to attempt suicide than the general population this time of year. Use common sense. No need to pry. No need to call for a psych evaluation. Let's just look out for one another, now and always. I hope everyone has a great holiday season. Please contact us on Twitter at SMTaboo with questions, comments, or show ideas. Oh, and all I want for Christmas is a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever you stream your podcasts. Thanks for listening.